Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Good morning to everyone online. Good morning to our friends at Farmington Hills, Pastor Sean and friends over there. So glad that you could join us today as well. One church in two locations. And so excited to worship together and sit under God's word together. I'm super excited about this morning as we kick off a new series called He Gets Us. But I'm even more excited about the passage of scripture that we're going to be in this morning. Matthew chapter 6 is actually my favorite passage of scripture. This particular uh, text in the gospel, Matthew 6, 25 through 34, I've meditated on it many days. It has broken me and healed me many times. So I look forward to sharing with us this morning. But before we go any further, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your, in your mighty and matchless sons, Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. God, I specifically pray for those who are struggling with anxiety and fear. God, I pray that you would touch their hearts in a special way. God, illumine the text by your Holy Spirit. God, draw us near to you and be made much of today. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want us to look at a quote together. It says, I belong to a generation that finds very little that is meaningful or intelligent in the teachings of the church concerning Jesus Christ. It is a generation largely in revolt because of the general impression that Christianity is essentially an otherworldly religion, having as its motto, take all the world, but give me Jesus. This quote doesn't come from a restless millennial or young adult. This quote doesn't come from a member of our emerging generation, Generation Z. This quote came from a man in the 1940s who was a member of the World War II generation or the the greatest generation as some have coined it. For many years and for many generations, people have been wrestling with the question of, How does the Christian faith actually apply to my life? Even in the 1940s, there was a restless generation wondering, how how does this apply to the issues of my day and the challenges of my life? And now we're in the middle of a generation asking similar questions. How does this 2,000-year-old faith, the Christian faith, apply to the issues of my day and the challenges of my life. Before we can get to answering that question, we have to first answer another question. We have to answer the question of, well, who is Jesus Christ to begin with? Who is he? There there are several opinions about who Jesus is. Some people say that he was just a moral philosopher, a good teacher, perhaps, a prophet. Some people swing to the other side of the pendulum and say, no, he was a lunatic. He was a madman. He was a rebel. So there are a lot of opinions floating around about who exactly this man, Jesus Christ, was and is. Well, if you listen to the people who spent the most time with him, those who were closest to him, they documented his life. They followed him even into death. And those people who spent the most time with him, who were closest to him, said that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And those who spent 
plenty of time with him said that this man was God. He was God in the flesh. One person might be willing to die for the truth, but I don't believe 12 people are going to die for a lie. And these men went to their grave and the others who followed him went to their grave saying that this man that I witnessed, this man that I saw was God in the flesh. He's the Christ. He is the Messiah. And so we're going to look at what those who experienced him and documented him, we're going to look at what they had to say about who Jesus is. And hopefully from there, we can apply his teaching to our lives. So he was fully God and fully man. Let's look at his divinity, his God nature. First of all, and we, we look at this every year for Christmas, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. So that points to his divinity. His father was God. He was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Another aspect of who he was and his divinity, he was eternal. He, he said that before Abraham was, I am. And you can't say that unless you existed far before Abraham, which would have been many years before that. He's claiming eternality. He, he is eternal. He is before Abraham. And when he said that, a lot of people got mad. They picked up stones, began to throw at him. And one of the reasons that Jesus Christ was ultimately crucified was because of bold claims like that. He was saying that he was God. Revelations, it says that I am the Alpha and the omega, the beginning, and the end. This is what Jesus is saying about himself. He also forgave sins. The only person that can forgive sins is God. And Jesus said that I forgive sins. This also was very controversial in his day. So he claimed divinity. He also was human. Let's look at his humanity. He had a human body. Think about that. He was, he was born in human flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. A human body, meaning he, he cried as a baby, meaning his nose had to be wiped and his diaper had to be changed. The king of the universe put himself in that vulnerable and humble position. He had a human body. He also had physical limitations. If he was going for a run, he would need water just like everyone else, a Gatorade just like everyone else. There were moments when he was tired. There were moments when he took naps. He had physical limitations. He had human emotions. He felt the full spectrum of human emotions. He experienced joy. He experienced sadness. We saw that he wept when his friend Lazarus died. He experienced all kinds of emotions including fear and anxiety. I want us to look at one of the passages that points to this. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Jesus, the God man, was troubled in his spirit. I want to look at that word troubled a little deeper. Troubled. The word troubled represents the Greek word tereso, which means anxious or very surprised by danger. This is Jesus, the God-man. He himself was troubled in his spirit. He was anxious before he was about to be crucified. He, he felt these very real human emotions. He was troubled. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he is seen perspiring 
blood. In the garden, he is perspiring blood. That's a real medical condition where an individual, when their blood vessels burst, the blood begins to then trickle through their sweat pores, and they actually perspire blood. And this happens when an individual is under significant mental anguish. That means Jesus Christ, the God-man, was under such mental anguish that even he began to sweat blood, something that many of us maybe have never experienced. That's how intense the emotions were that he felt. So for anyone that has ever wrestled with anxiety or wrestled with any kind of fear or mental anguish, you can rest assured that Jesus himself can identify with you and understands that level of suffering. He could have shielded and protected himself from that. He didn't do so. He didn't protect himself from the mental anguish and the mental pain that we see so regularly in our world today. I want us to take a look at just some mental health realities, the state of mental health in our world today. One out of every emergency room visits involves a mental health or substance abuse issue. One out of eight. Not a broken arm, not a broken leg, which for some reason that kind of pain is usually a little bit more acceptable. But one out of eight actually show up due to something related to mental health or substance abuse. Let's look at this next one. This is heartbreaking. As of 2020, suicide is the second leading cause of death for U.S. children ages 10 to 14. My My heart goes out to anyone that's ever lost anyone due to them taking their own lives. That is heartbreaking. And I just want to say to anyone here this morning who's wrestling with those thoughts of self-harm, my encouragement to you, brother, my encouragement to you, sister, is to, one, keep fighting, and to, two, do not fight alone. Don't fight alone. You don't have to fight it alone. I spoke with a member of our care ministries this morning, and they said if anyone is wrestling with that this morning at War Church with those kind of thoughts of depression, reach out to our care ministries. And we might not be able to give you the resolution and the answer, but we'll try our best to point you to someone who can. The point is, we don't want you wrestling with that alone. This is, this is very real. Let's continue to look at some of these realities. Young adults ages 25 to 18 to 25 in the U.S. have the highest rate of experiencing any mental health concerns Specifically, Generation Z wrestles with this stuff at a disproportionate rate. I was listening to something a while back, and they said Generation Z has the lowest satisfaction of life for any generation. For some reason, the younger generation has the lowest level of satisfaction for life. In these years that should be years of fun and exploration, for some reason, these particular years have been difficult for this younger generation. So... If you're in that camp, once again, we don't want you wrestling and struggling with that alone. And you might have someone around you who fits that demographic that you might want to pay more attention to, potentially. And then also, we saw the numbers jump during the pandemic among genders. The prevalence of anxiety disorder went up 25.6% worldwide during the pandemic. And for depressive disorder, 27.6%. 
6. We are living in an anxious world, in an anxious day. There's a good chance that if you bump into someone today, they're probably wrestling with this. And in a, in a group this size, some of us are wrestling with this. And my prayer and my hope is that this is never a church where people have to be ashamed of that. Right? It's more acceptable to admit that you have a sprained ankle than to admit that you're having issues with your emotions and your soul. My prayer is that no one will have to hide. When we hide, we can't be helped. I like to out myself first in that I have had a 17-year battle with anxiety and depression myself. I had a battle with that before I even knew what anxiety was. I was wrestling with that. As a teenager, I would um, experience the foggy head and the, the heart beating faster and my stomach jumping and turning in knots and being out of control. I've since learned that there's a nerve in your stomach called the vagus nerve that attaches to your brain. And when that thing gets out of whack, you experience some serious anxiety. I've probably had an anxiety attack everywhere that you can have one. I've had one driving. I've had one walking up the street. I've had them preaching. And when that happened a couple times, that was terrifying to me that that was happen happening while I was actually preaching. And over time, I've learned how to take care of my body. I've learned my body. I've learned the help that I need. Some of that it's basic prayer and meditation. Some of that is exercise. Some of that has meant medication for me. That's not for everyone. But when it comes to this kind of thing, different people need different things. And my encouragement to you, if you're struggling with that, that you would not sit in isolation, that you wouldn't be ashamed of it. As I look back this, at this challenge in my own life, in my own journey, a part of my my journey has also been leaning into Scripture, leaning into the Word of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, the one that we're going to be in today, that is my favorite passage of Scripture because there's been many days where I pulled over on the side of the road and had to read Matthew chapter 6. With big decisions coming up, I've had to really lean into seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the rest of these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow for today has enough trouble of its own. I've, I've had to really lean into that many times. And it is truly ministered to my heart. So I want us to spend some time looking at Matthew chapter 6 as Jesus speaks to the anxious heart. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Jesus is a poor Jewish man in the context here, speaking to other poor Jewish people in an environment where they don't have political power, where they've been oppressed and occupied by Rome, and they have these very real tangible needs. And Jesus Christ is saying, don't worry about food and clothing. They worried about food and clothing every day. They worried about the basic necessities of life every day. But here we see Jesus telling them not to worry about these things. He does a couple of things that I want to look at in the text. One, he redirects their attention, and we're gonna, he's going to tell them to look up at the birds. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I just want us to look at a couple of things that Jesus is doing here. Number one, he is redirecting their attention. If you were a Jewish person in the Greco-Roman world, your attention was on a lot of things. You were worried about Rome. You were anxious about the Messiah coming back. You were anxious about the politics of your day. You were anxious about your next meal. You were anxious about the taxes that you had to pay because of Rome. And you were anxious about many things. But Jesus, said, Jesus is saying, take your, attention, take your attention off of those things. Re- redirect your attention to what God is doing. As a matter of fact, let's look at his creation and how he, and how he cares for his creation. Look at the birds. Look at, look at how God provides for them. So he's redirecting the attention. And then secondly, he is appealing to logic. He is appealing to common sense. Common sense is, aren't you more valuable than a bird? Think about it. God created you, made you in his image. Aren't you more valuable than a bird? Common sense, once again. And if he's going to provide for the birds, isn't he going to provide for you? So in this anxious world that they were living in at the time, Jesus says, redirect the attention to what God is doing. And let's focus on what's really true. Let's focus on what is real and what is true. Because sometimes fear and anxiety can make us irrational. It can make us irrational. And we can assume things that are not true. Oh, because I made this mistake, I am the worst parent ever. It's not true. If I, if I fail this test, my future is ruined. It's not true. If I don't have this job, then I am worthless. That's not true. We have to re- redirect ourselves to what is actually true. Satan, the father of lies, wants us to believe those lies. But God says, redirect your attention to me. Let's continue as Jesus ministers to the anxious heart. He says, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow and they do not labor or spin? Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Jesus does something very cool here. So just to give you some context, once again, this is the Sermon on the Mount he says, look at the flowers of the field. And so they're looking out at the field at the flowers. These aren't flowers in a garden that have been cared for by a master gardener with a green thumb. These are, these are flowers in the field growing wild. And even these flowers in the field growing wild, which are seemingly insignificant, who cares about these little wild flowers growing in the field? And the answer is God does. And God clothes these seemingly insignificant flowers. And then Jesus does something, something else interesting. He compares and tra- contrasts the seemingly insignificant thing, these little flowers that are growing in the field, with someone who's very significant, King Solomon, who represented the height and the peak and the glory of Israel. And Jesus is saying, these flowers that are seemingly insignificant are clothed better than even King Solomon. You know why? Because these flowers that sit by the wayside that nobody cares about and thinks about, these flowers are clothed 
by God. And what Jesus is saying that God cares and clothes the insignificant things of this world. He thinks about the things that maybe no one else thinks about. And if you were a Jewish person at this time in history, you might have felt like one of those little wildflowers by the wayside. And Jesus is saying, God sees you and God cares for you. And he's going to take care of you. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Once again, appealing to our common sense, appealing to our logic. If he cares for the grass which is here today and cut tomorrow and thrown into the fire, won't he much more clothe you? Let's continue as he, can, as he ministers to the anxious heart. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink, which were real needs for this group. Or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Here's the good news. God knows, God cares, and God does. He knows, he cares, and he does. If he didn't know, okay, maybe we'd be in trouble. It's like, you know, you're in trouble and God... God doesn't know about it. Okay, but that's not the case here. God is aware. He knows. If he didn't care, if he knew but didn't care, okay, now we're in trouble. If he knew and cared but didn't do anything, okay, once again, we're in trouble, but that's not the case. He demonstrated this by coming here to earth to live amongst us to begin with. God knew. He was aware of the plight of mankind. He was aware of the desperation of humanity, and so he was aware of it. He cared enough to come here and live amongst us. God sent his only begotten son. He cared enough. And then he did something. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So if he takes care of that big eternal piece of life, surely he can care for the finite things in this world. God knows, God cares, and God does. So what do we do? We seek him. We follow him. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day as enough trouble of its own. As we all know, letting go of anxiety and fear is easier said than done. We, we know that. We get crossed up, we get tangled up, and it's easier said than done to to let go of anxiety and fear, especially in a world like this where there's so much around us going on, so many voices, so many demands, so many commitments, so many, so many, so many, so many. God has given each and every one of us a certain amount of authority, a certain amount of control. He did this in a garden with Adam and Eve. By his kindness, by his love, he says that I'm all... Uh, authoritative. I'm all powerful, but I give humanity a little bit of dominion, a little bit of work to do while they're here on earth. So even the birds of the air, God provides for them, but they build nests and they, they search for worms. And so we all have a little bit of control in this life, if you want to call it that, a little bit of something to manage. But there's another realm, the realm 
that exists that is out of our control. And this is a lot bigger. A few things that we can control, so many things that we can't control. And as a father of a two-year-old, I've learned this <laughs> so much that you can't control. So many things, so many, so many details, so many facts of life, so many things happening in your house and happening across the globe. So many things, so many people. You can't make people like you or not like you. You can't make people love you. You can't make people change their habits. Oh, so many things. You, you can't control certain things in your own life. So many things exist in this world. And we really get anxious when we try to control what we can't control. It's too much. This is where a breakdown happens when we try to control things that we weren't created to control. The reality is we're living in a world surrounded by things that we can't control. And left to our own plight, this is terrifying. This is utter tyranny. So many things, so many ha things happening. I, saw, I got notifications this morning since I've been at church that have broken my heart. Got one this morning. A uh, couple things going on in my, in my larger family back home that are out of my control. And if we meditate on these things too much, that's where anxiety lives. But thanks be to God, there's a God who controls all things. And even the things that we think we can control and the things that are out of our control, they all exist under the authority and control of God. The things that don't make sense and don't line up and the things that look like chaos, somehow, somewhere, they all still exist under the authority and control of God. And here's what we do. I experience peace when I relinquish the things that I can't control to the God who controls all things. I experience peace then when I relinquish the things that I can't control to the God who controls all things. And I rest in his sovereignty what is sovereignty? The author of our book that we're reading together, he gets us, speaks about sovereignty. He says, sovereignty is the term that the Bible uses to describe God's perfect control and management of the universe. He's in control. That's the only way we can experience peace in a world so full of things that we can't. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. God, forgive us for trying to control so much. God, teach us to see what the boundaries are between what you've given us to do and what we are not to touch. God, help us to rest in you. God, I pray for the anxious in this room, in Farmington Hills, in other places, God, I, I pray that they would experience the peace that only can come from you. God, you know, you care, and you do. God, help us to rest in that and let that be enough. You see your son, Jesus.